If you're like me, you've probably heard a lot of things about the World Economic Forum, but probably never talked to anybody who was a part of the World Economic Forum. Christian Engermeyer is a part of the World Economic Forum and has a radically unique perspective, along with being one of the most prolific entrepreneurs in the psychedelic medicine space. And his perspective, I found to be nuanced and invaluable. So I really encourage listening to this conversation with Christian Engermeyer. But before we get started, a word from our sponsors. First up, we have Redwood Outdoors. So if you guys have been following me for a while, you know that sauna is an integral part of my life. Hot, cold requires the hot as well as the cold. And for the hot, one of the best options you can do is to get a dry sauna. And Redwood Outdoors makes one of the most beautiful saunas I've ever seen. I have one set up in my backyard. And ultimately, I have it pretty close to my own plunge pool, and I go back and forth between the sauna and the cold. And this becomes one of the reasons, I think, why these last few years have been the healthiest years of my life. So this is one of the most well-known and best brands on the market for saunas. I bought one in 2021, long before Redwood was a sponsor of the show. And it's just beautiful, you know, and they were super helpful. When, uh, when we needed some support with the different assembly and pieces. And I think once you guys take a look at what these saunas look like, and once you really understand how awesome it is to have a sauna in your life, uh, I think you're going to want to check this out. So go to redwoodoutdoors.com, use the code AMP250 for $250 off on orders of $3,500 or more. Once again, redwoodoutdoors.com. Use the code AMP250 for $250 off on orders of $3,500 or more. Next up, we have Mudwater. Now, Mudwater is one of my favorite products that are out there in the health and wellness better for you space. It's a coffee alternative. It has four adaptogenic mushrooms. It has cacao, Ayurvedic herbs, and it's really a coffee alternative. It has a fraction of the caffeine of a cup of coffee, but I do like a little bit of caffeine, and Mudwater just hits that sweet spot. It doesn't have a bunch of sugar or anything in there, so if you want to add your own sweetener, you're welcome to, or if you're mixing it in a shake or a warm morning drink like I often do, it's just really a kind of a perfect product, and it's no surprise that Mudwater has done so well as a company because it's just phenomenal, and phenomenal all the way up, all the way down, not only from the quality of ingredients, the flavor profile, and also just the customer service and the ethos of the company itself. I'm a huge fan. And again, cacao and chai for mood and a microdose of caffeine. They got lion's mane, which helps with cognitive support and alertness. Cordyceps, which is the flagship ingredient in our product, Shroom Tech Sport from Onnit. It's got chaga and reishi to support your immune system and offer that little bit of calm that comes with the reishi mushroom. Turmeric is also one of those great products for any kind of stiffness or soreness you might be feeling. And cinnamon, which is an ingredient that's very close to my heart, that also has a bunch of antioxidants and actually in high enough amounts can help with blood sugar regulation. I talk about that a bit in my book, Own the Day. So mud water is just one of those things that if you're curious about a coffee alternative and you like making delicious beverages, whether they're smoothies or hot drinks, I highly recommend it. It's Whole30 approved, 100% USDA organic, non-GMO, gluten-free, vegan, kosher certified. It's got all the goods. So go to mudwater.com slash amp. That's M-U-D-W-T-R.com 
slash amp and use the code Aubrey to get 15% off at checkout. Once again, the code Aubrey for 15% at checkout. And finally, we have Onnit. And I want to spend this time talking about the four different types of alpha brain that Onnit is currently offering. Now, for those of you who aren't aware, alpha brain was Onnit's flagship. It was the revolutionary nootropic formula tested twice in double-blind clinical trials and shown to be effective in helping improve focus and general cognitive function. So whatever it is that you're doing, whether it's studying or podcasting, it's something that you can put in your tool belt to help elevate your consciousness. But now we have four different iterations. And of course, there's the original capsuled alpha brain. And one of the advantages that I love about the original formula is the inclusion of cat's claw. Cat's claw is really long-term, highly neuroprotective. And so it's a very well-rounded brain formula. And then there's the instantized version, which comes in these little packets that are delicious that you can mix in water. Now, I typically bring those when I travel and you have the option. You can either drink it fast and get the full dose of original alpha brain immediately or drink it slow if you have a longer, more drawn-out day where you want to spread the effects out over an hour, two hours, just mix it in your water bottle. And again, it tastes awesome. So that's also an advantage. Then there's the alpha brain ready to drink shots. And you just rip the cap and drink the alpha brain. And it has a slight modification to the formula in that it includes a little bit of caffeine. And caffeine and alpha brain pair brilliantly together. So this is going to pick up your energy as well as giving you the cholinergic boost that Alpha Brain is known for. And then there's the Cadillac, which is Alpha Brain Black Label. Alpha Brain Black Label has a couple different advantages. One is a full dose of Macunaprurians, which increases and up-levels the availability of dopamine in the brain, which is great for modulating your mood into a much more positive state. Then there's a full, full dose of phosphatidylserine, which has a host of different benefits. Of course, there's the nutritional mushroom lion's mane and a variety of different ingredients that we put together. It took us over 10 years to develop a formula that was worthy of carrying the Alpha Brain name and being significantly different. And we did it with Alpha Brain Black Label. So that's a brief explanation of the four different types of Alpha Brain. So if you're interested, check it out. Go to onnit.com slash Aubrey and save 10% on all of the different alpha brains. And now an uninterrupted podcast with Christian Angermeyer. Christian, thanks for coming out here. Thanks for having me. Here in Miami. I have never done this before on any podcast ever in my life, but I'm actually going to read your bio. Oh my God. From a tie. And I found, went to that page and I was just looking at it. And it's so fucking interesting that I want to read it, and then it'll kind of be like a little bit of a map for us to talk about a few different cool. areas, all right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through this. Christian Angermeyer, actually, is that how you pronounce your name? Yeah, it's most fairly perfect. Fairly perfect. Is an entrepreneur and investor and, and the founder of Apiron Investment Group, his family office and merchant banking services. Apiron focuses on financial services, especially fintech and crypto assets. So let's put a little asterisk. I want to talk about fintech and crypto assets, technology, life sciences, media, and entertainment, and real estate and prop tech. Apiron completes deals across the entire life cycle and balance sheet of a company. Uh, more about Apiron. In 2000, Christian co-founded Ribopharma, original patents for RNAi technology, which merged with the stock market listed US-backed, blah, blah, blah. Um, 
13 billion market cap today. You've raised over 2 billion for portfolio companies, been involved in more than 50 successful IPOs and M&A transactions as an entrepreneur, investor, or banker advisor. Um, one of the most significant investors in European fintech companies, again, asterisk on fintech, because I've never really talked about that, with a special focus on cryptocurrencies and blockchain-related business models. <clears throat> Let's see, we have some info about cryptology, which we could get into, the shareholder of Block One and those tokens. The biotech company Atai Life Sciences, you have the ambitious goal to develop solutions for more than 300 million people who suffer from depression, especially by bringing back formerly vilified drugs, very true, like psychedelics into the legal realm. With the biotech companies Rejuveron and Cambrian, Christian is developing drugs and technologies which have the potential to significantly prolong the human lifespan and ultimately defeat death. Okay, big asterisk there about places to go in the podcast. So we got a few things, got a few things already. In addition to the entrepreneurial activities, Christian places great value on social, political, and societal commitments. He is a young global leader of the World Economic Forum. Asterisk there. There's a lot of stuff that's talked about the World Economic oh, Forum. And I want to know, like, you probably have a better insight than me looking at shit on Instagram. So I definitely want to talk to you about that. Um, a member of the Presidential Advisory Council for His Excellency President Paul Kagame of Rwanda. That's random and really fucking cool. Yeah, Good let's job. talk about it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> My favorite country. <laughs> really? Yes. Wow. All right, a board member of Vienna-based Hayek Institute, a libertarian and free markets-focused think tank. My father was a libertarian, and I've always really identified with those politics, probably more than if I had to choose a political party, that would probably be it, although I'm a bit apolitical given what I've seen. And we had a nice little intro conversation on politics, so maybe a little asterisk there about libertarianism, free market, free market ideas, politics. A uh, member of the court of the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. Tropical medicine sounds cool. Um, let's see. You have forums where you bring a bunch of Christian Engelmeyer's policy and innovation forum convened several times a year for head of states, including politicians, investors, and scientists to discuss crucial topics and issues. And then another turn, which is, you know, wild and really paints the picture of like the complexity of you as a podcast guest and a human. Passionate about the arts and film, Christian has executive produced 21 feature films, including critically acclaimed movies like Filth, Aspirin Papers, and Hector and the Search for Happiness. The largest shareholder of DAG, live entertainment company in Europe, producing over 4,500 shows a year. And finally, last asterisk, you have a unique collection of art centered around the theme psychedelics and entheogens. I too have a good collection of art centered around psychedelics and entheogens. Great. So where do you want to start? Exactly. <laughs> here we are. Well, there are a lot of really interesting places to go there. And because uh, I think we should just go fairly chronologically from that. And, uh, you know, explain, obviously you've had a massive success in business in a variety of different areas. Fintech, which is short for financial technology, is one of these areas of focus and has, as you know, blockchain and crypto kind of enters the space, I would just love to enter your mind as to what you're seeing for the evolution of money 
and the evolution of financial instruments and kind of what's on the emerging bleeding edge that you're really looking at there? Good question. Where do we start? Meaning in generally, because cryptocurrencies became such a big term, yeah, and then you saw all the bad stuff like last year from the fall of Luna, then obviously FTX was just fraud, like which can happen in any uh, industry. But like, I like to actually say- think that, that's an, that was an interesting one. FTX was just fraud, but I think people like blamed crypto for it in, in, a, in a weird way, right? Like almost like crypto got a bad brand hit because the yeah, because was crypto already fraud. had the reputation of being unregulated, which or very little regulated, which is true. Which also is part of the charm, because like you see normally the sort of the um, the strongest innovation with less regulation. So regulation is a double sided sword. So you sometimes want it because there is an element of protection, yeah, and then it also regulation, if overdone, yeah, is not really fostering innovation. And it's, right. it's a hard to find a balance. Yeah. And normally like at the beginning, everybody, nobody wants regulation because it seems to go well. And then when things go wrong, like FTX, yeah, then the people cover it. It's the old cycle, which happens practically in any, uh, any new, um, uh-huh. industry, but like, meaning if you boil it down, FTX seems at least from the outside, luckily we were not sort of in this, neither investor or not anything, yeah, burned by it. But from the outside view, it seems like it's just fraud. I mean, just don't want to play it down, but like fraud can happen in any industry. Like right. somebody can, I don't know, have many Enron was a fraudulent uh, energy company. Right. So, um, and I also, in generally, I believe as sort of, and I don't want to discount that obviously thousands and thousands of uh, customers, which is the very bad thing, lost money because they took customer money and mm-hmm. sort of were lending it practically to themselves but like it's like it's a little bit like with i always say with murder with any other bad thing it's illegal we outlaw it as society but it still happens but the solution is not that we say look there would be definitely less very bad murder cases if nobody would ever go out again and we just stay in our apartment right but that's not the solution and the solution is also not like throwing i don't know if it's an english expression but in germany you you say throwing the child out with the bus Baby uh, out with the bathwater. Yeah. So it's like, and that is always my worry. Like, yes, we have to think about, is there sensible regulation, which the crypto industry should adopt? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but also like, just because one person or one group of people really did bad stuff. Yeah. This is not the industry yeah. in, in Understood. itself. Yeah. Understood. Um, so, but like coming back to like the big question of, of future of currencies, like I always like to take uh, Bitcoin sort of apart from the rest because sort of Bitcoin for me is really, that's why I even don't really like the term, even if I used it in my own CV, like cryptocurrency industry, because like, yeah, the main thing, and we got a little bit distracted mm-hmm. um, from it over the last years with the hype, but the main thing really is Bitcoin. Yeah. Which from my point of view stands the test of time. Um, as what I see it mainly is digital gold. So if you look at human uh, history, humans always want actually, uh, let's call it a store of value. So the critics might say, but Bitcoin went down as well. Yeah. Um, But like you want something, let's say maybe in that way, which is not touchable by the government. Yeah. Yeah? And humans always have it. Yeah. So, and by the way, why? Because if you go cash in your mattress, yes. So gold, 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 even even a pinky ring with a diamond on it was an old gangster way to store money on your person. Right. So, and, 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 and gold 
has because then people say, oh, but but Bitcoin has no value. Bitcoin da da da. But like gold has no value. You can't eat it. It's very little used. In, but it's so shiny, though. It's shiny, but like because <laughs> but we like it because yeah because maybe shiny maybe because like but what the fact is that gold has not a real use case. Yeah, it's actually even fairly hard to transport whatever. But we agreed as humans that gold yep. should be given a value mm -hmm. as a kind of store of value. Yeah, and it's so ingrained and it's definitely the most successful uh, store of value, but we had others. We had. And, and also because it's scarce. Yes. It had so, just the right amount of scarcity. As a fun fact, which I just learned, which is, by the way, if you look at what gold is, Bitcoin is extremely modeled on it. So gold cannot be produced on earth. It's one of these rare metals, mm. which practically came literally from outside. So the earth was seeded with gold from asteroids and comets. Wow. Yeah, in our early days, and maybe still something is falling down, but like it cannot be produced here. So the amount of gold on earth is finite um, and we're mining it. And by the way, exactly like Bitcoin, like while, I don't know, what was it like eight years ago, you could mine a Bitcoin for hundred dollars. Yeah, it gets harder and harder. The same in the medieval ages, gold was way more prevalent. Yep. Yeah, people were mining it in Europe, whatever. Now we mined everything already and now it gets harder and harder. Yeah, but there is a finite end because gold, there's just a finite amount of gold and it's the same. So Bitcoin in many, many ways copied the model of gold. And by the way, I do believe they have a, they can be there both at the same time. It's like, yeah, it's sure, not sure. because then we, okay, will gold be worthless? No, I think for a, for a long period of time, humans will have both, but why not? But we had many, many periods of time where we had many stores of value, silver, whatever, pearls, like maybe cows. Like it's always what we just agree on to be a store of value. And if you look at Bitcoin, it's actually even the better gold because it can be sent very easily. Yeah, it can be transported. And by the way, there is a complete difference of how, maybe people in the in America look at Bitcoin and then talk to people in Venezuela or in Argentina or in Ukraine. Yeah. They are like, okay, I really want something. Their currencies are shit. Yeah. Uh, and they want something they can take and leave a country, which is still actually a thing in big parts of the world. It's just yeah. luckily you can say not in Europe and, and in the US. Yeah. And then lastly, by the way, I always say like, think about that way. Like, Every single currency in the history of humanity has always been destroyed by the government somewhere. There's not a single currency which is there since a longer, really long period of time. And if it's there, I think the, the oldest currency is the sterling, then it's massively devaluated because right. politicians always abuse the currency. They just print more cash. Yeah. So, and that's why we need to store and value. And that's the thing about gold and Bitcoin. There will never, there can, there's a limit on the amount of Bitcoin and there's a limit on yeah. the amount of gold. Cash, there's no limit. And that's why when you want more money and you can just hit go on the digital printer. I mean, people actually think of printing sheets of money, but that's just cash. Real money is just created with the click of a yeah. cursor on a very, very protected machine somewhere in the Federal Reserve. But it just, that's what happened. That's what we saw during the pandemic, of course. So, all right. So, so I'm a big believer. That's the short version. I'm a yeah. big believer in Bitcoin mainly. So, and then by definition then, or as a consequence, I'm a big believer in all the industries adjacent to Bitcoin, which is like crypto mining or Bitcoin mining, uh, which is like exchanges. Uh, and so then you have some really valuable platforms like yeah, Ethereum where you can really build on. Mm -hmm. um, but to be fair. So is that more like, that's more like silver or copper? 
in that you analogy. You see, like that, that's, that, no, that's actually, that's more, yeah, you can say because silver has a use case. Yes, right. exactly. That's, a, that's actually a good analogy. Like it's this thing because these platforms uh, and tokens have a use case because you can develop yeah. applications. Like copper wires and uh, copper, you know, yeah. things like that. So, so that's what the other currencies are like. One is the store of value. The other is like, all right, these are metals that we can use yep. for different So, different and things. then you have the tulips, if you remember the tulip mania, like, because then, unfortunately, over the last years, people just wanted more and more and crazier and crazier. Okay, so the tulip, what you're talking about is for in, in, in the Dutch history, yes. tell the tulip story. It's like well, I don't know, century, I think it was the 16th century. I don't want to say the wrong time, I, but- I think it so, might've been 1850. Yeah, or, or later, yeah. But someone in the Dutch history, yeah. people suddenly- the, um, uh, gave value to uh, tulip, what is it called? Tulip uh, bulbs. Yeah, the bulbs, yeah. And they became insanely expensive. Like, um, and and people somehow told themselves that there is a reason why this is happening. And then one day they woke up and were like, Yeah, this and everybody is all crazy. invested all yeah. of their money in yeah. tulips. And they were like, What the fuck are we actually doing? Yeah. And then the tulip market crashed and then people lost massive stores of wealth yeah so we it never was a store of wealth but, but that's well, actually well they yeah. gave money to some tulip well they at least moved they, a they, bunch of wealth yes. to whatever yes. tulip yeah. farmers and tulip you know middlemen and merchants were out there right yeah so but that sort of is like i think a very good description of the crypto world you had bitcoin as sort of the original and really most important uh if you want to call it cryptocurrency then you had sort of some very valuable protocols to build on yep. ethereum solana whatever and then um you had suddenly hundreds and thousands of crazy projects uh which were the tulips and i think it's very very healthy what is happening now although it's obviously not nice for people losing money but i think it needs to go through this cleansing process and the the, the blockchain crypto industry needs to concentrate back on the good stuff which is bitcoin plus very few uh tokens what do you think about the, it, do you think that there's a risk that governments and world governments would, and this may even, you know, bridge into the World Economic Forum discussion, push cryptocurrencies out of the market by creating central bank digital currencies to replace them and then kind of outlawing cryptocurrencies in that way? Well, first thing is, I think it's not a competition. So uh, central bank created digital currencies will definitely come because it makes a lot of sense to digitize the dollar and the euro just because it makes it makes it easier to handle you could in a certain way i know that's the worry is like say it makes it easier to control but i don't mean control the people but like just to know what is your mm -hmm. float out there whatever as you said now it's a little bit like how many cashes are there so so uh, central bank uh, digital currencies make sense but they are the same. By the way, it's just yeah. a digital. I think actually, it's. It, I think everybody would be cheering for it. Absolutely, like, come on, central bank, digitize this currency if we trusted our governments. True. Yeah, but even yeah. if you don't, it doesn't make it really fully worse. It's sort of the same ish. If you're not a money launderer or whatever, I always yeah. think like people worry about the wrong stuff in life. That's well, people are worried about like social credit scores and what's happening in China where they're linking money. Like you go to, go to the gas, you go to the gas station and all of a sudden, you know, you put out a political statement or you put out something on, you know, um, health freedom or some other thing like that. And all of a sudden you get, you get restricted from spending your money, right? Like that's what people are worried about. Do you think that's a real fear or is this just like paranoia playing out in the zeitgeist around central bank digital currencies? Well, definitely they can be 
Again, I would say they're neutral in itself, but if a government wants to use them to exercise more control, as you described yeah. it, I think it does work. Yeah. So yes. Yeah. So, but that is, by the way, technology in general. These are the same people. They should then say, "I don't want a mobile phone because the government knows at any certain point where I am." Yeah. They. So that's the only thing. They, they, most of the people. I'm not saying that I'm dismissive of the fear of these things, but if you really fear that stuff, you need to avoid a lot of things because right. you already give away everything to Google, to your phone, to Apple. Uh, whatever, like, so that this is what is not fully cohesive how people behave. So the same people yeah. who would say, oh, I'm very afraid of a digital currency, they are very much using WhatsApp and whatever, like, yeah. And the <laughs> truth is that technology makes us more contro controllable if the government wants it. So we should actually place the focus on how can Making we keep a better the, government. Exactly. And how can we keep the freedom, which we still have, by the way, the West is like, you can say a lot about, but like, if you look at China, for example, yeah, I'm very much want to live in Europe and the US and not in China. So we yeah, do. No yeah. And I think we underappreciate that freedom we still have. And I would say mm. it's fairly, fairly intact. Yeah. But we should put more political focus on it. Yeah. To keep it. Yeah, I mean, it's been definitely been encroached upon in the last few years, and I think that's why people are getting concerned. Um, you know, doctors getting unable to share their own opinions and certain political things, even the Twitter files releasing the Hunter Biden laptop suppression. I mean, that's just out there. That's actually what happened, right? There's suppression of truth for political, you know, po political aims. Yeah, weirdly, though, by a private company. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, but it was pre you know pressure from pressure from the White House to the to Twitter and yeah, but Twitter which fell on very company. frugal ground. I don't want I don't want to excuse Biden's team for doing that, but like yeah. I think the bad people are the ex Twitter people. Yeah, which was a private company. I'm just saying, like yeah, you need sure. to. The danger sure. comes not. Yeah. No. No. Yeah. And I, but I, I think, agree. Like, I think having like a bigger picture of of the of the empire itself, you know, and knowing that it, everything's kind of intermingled, business and and government and tech. And I think that whole tech plex that includes politics and is separate, both it's interwoven and separate because of campaign contributions, et cetera. Um, there's a lot of connection points and I think people are afraid of that. But what I feel, what I feel actually emerging in my own mind is a new way of thinking. Thanks to what you're sharing is like, look, technology is rolling in, it's coming in and it's going to give access and mo to more control for the powers that want to control. So we can't, we're not going to be able to stop technology. It just makes too much sense. It makes too much sense. So since we can't stop technology, we actually have to take a stand for our freedoms and for what we believe is good, true, beautiful, and right against those powers that may want to abuse it and actually take a stand. 100%. This is why, by the way, what Elon Musk is doing, as so many people criticize him, it's amazing because he's giving yeah, I yeah, agree. freedom of speech back to a platform, which is super essential, although it's still a private company. Yeah. yeah. So, it, it, but it's, it's a, I think it's an important reframe to actually just think like, look, stop trying to fight the technology. <laughs> you know, like, like, you can put your little bandaid over the over the you know the camera on the back of your in the front of your laptop because you're worried they're gonna watch you jerking off to your own porn, <laughs> you know like. The but, least there, the, the, but nobody wants to filter through your 185 exactly. hours of masturbation. I'm telling you. By the way, I did this a fun anecdote. <laughs> I had several conversations with uh, 
friends in government, secret services about this fund? Like, what can you see? And the answer is always, if we want, we can see a lot. But first of all, who wants to? They were like, really, who, I, want, I don't want to see your pictures, like, yeah, or whatever you store on your phone. But then, then it's also very cumbersome still. Like, for example, if somebody technically could read all your WhatsApp, which is possible if you want it. Yeah. yeah. But then... It's a lot of WhatsApp, like, like, <laughs> yeah, like you sure. know it. So you need humans still. Maybe AI is catching up with it, but you would still need humans to make sense of it. So, and then 99.9%, hopefully 100%, what you and I would say on WhatsApp, yeah, is maybe offensive or is maybe funny or whatever, but it doesn't touch the government. Yeah, so they right. want to catch terrorists, whatever. So, so there, although I know what is technology-wise possible, I'm actually fairly relaxed. But I do think... Coming back, like we we should focus as a society that our political system yeah, sort of is keeping that freedom. Um, and that is actually, I think, uh, a value which needs to be defended, as we see now. Because weirdly, what they call, I would say, the left, because I also think it's very like confusing sometimes to mm. still use the terms left yeah, and right, those, because it those... doesn't fit really anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but Everything like, has evolved very much. That interestingly, the left, who was fighting like the last century for freedom, for individual rights, whatever, is now rather sort of, no, let's take it back uh, in, uh, in, um, during COVID, whatever. That's unfortunately a weird twist of history. Yeah, it's, it's just, it seems like actually parties are more just interested in what is the way to win. They're just in like this finite game thinking of like, how do we win at all costs? And even they're, they're not guided by first principles and values necessarily. They're like, all right, where's the advantage? How do I win? It's like they're locked in this game of chess. Yeah, or as we said before, like it's almost like a telenovela or an entertainment thing for voters. Yeah, which right. I also think is partly the good thing that as a European, if I look at US politics, there is a lot of craziness on the surface. Yeah, and that's what keeps people glued to the TV or the mm -hmm. internet or whatever, but like the policies then are actually on both sides still fairly rational, nuanced. Like you see that by the way, now the China policy of Biden is fairly the same than the Trump policy on China. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, because it's the it's geopolitically the right thing to do for America to try to contain China. Yeah, so, and yeah, Trump maybe voiced it differently, yeah, and uh, had a different sort of theater around it. But factually, it's very much the same. Yeah, I mean, that, that's what you were sharing earlier, is you're sharing that there's this huge political theater happening. But then actually, when you look at what happens in the administration, you actually see people making fairly rational choices, fairly yeah. rational decisions. And, yeah, and ho let's hope that stays well, but that's my observation, yeah, from a sort of outsider European uh, on the US. Mm -hmm. By the way, coming to a World Economic Forum question, because it's funny, uh, like there is no, I mean, I'm, so I'm always jokingly say, I think I met a lot of people who are always named on the internet, individuals, as being part of a big conspiracy. Yeah, right. and either they completely left me out of that, yeah, but then they're <laughs> not good friends, yeah, or... Or no, like at the same. <laughs> You're like, where's the conspiracy party? Exactly. No, Here where I am, is it? Like, young global I'm, leader, World Economic exactly. Forum. Where do I pledge my blood to Satan? And, and exactly. Jesus, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> comments on that. But the fact is, like, on a serious note, I think that it's very hard, till impossible, in our days, 
to really do a conspiracy because a conspiracy needs kind of secrecy. Like you need to whatever, share information. Like it, it, I think the world is not able, and now I'm saying something controversial, maybe we would need a bit of it because I think, again, too much of politics is happening at sort of the, the world stage in terms of everybody's watching. Yeah, and I think there are points in history and there are negative examples as well for what I'm saying, but I think at some points people might want to talk in private, one head of state to the other. Because if everything happens, as you said before, not to find the right solution, for example, if there is a conflict arising, right. but if everything is geared towards how do I look to my voter? Yeah, how do I look to my constituencies, whatever, like that makes sometimes solutions harder. So in a weird way, I think, first of all, it's not possible to do conspiracies today because the world is too transparent. And maybe the world would need, maybe not, let's not use the word conspiracy in that term, but the world would need a little bit more secrets or politicians being able yeah. to, well, for example, I mean, what I hate, what I yeah. hate at the moment is that several European leaders are criticized for still talking to Putin. Yeah. So, but if you want to find a way out of that mess- and You got to like, talk to him. You got to talk to him. Like, it's not saying like you shouldn't give anything to him, but like at least you shouldn't talk to him. So we are in a world where suddenly even the talking in itself is like, you can't do that. I was like, but then what's happening then? Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's, sort of, a, that's a crazy idea. So uh, there's a couple of things. One is, I mean, we, we brought the Hunter Biden laptop in there and you that was actually a conspiracy, right? Because the government, the government then went to Twitter and then- said, hey, you know, suppress this and Twitter did it and then lied about doing it. So in a way, it's a little baby conspiracy. There was secrecy. Yeah, baby conspiracy, baby, but it's something which happened, which was not secret. So it's maybe missing the secret element because people knew about it. It was more like a cartel, the media. Yeah. It's not a, I think there's a nuance. Yeah, a but, but what, I think you're, what I think you're talking about is like the secret society conspiracy theory, right? Like there are conspiracies that happen. There was a conspiracy between the White House, Twitter, and the media to actually keep this information from coming out, right? So that's a small little conspiracy, which is basically we're working together in secret to do something that we're not telling people about. And that happens a lot. Yeah. But what you're saying is, but, it still comes up, thanks God. Like, so it's, yeah. it's, it came up it, back then, but like, yeah, so it's sort of, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, and then, but what you're saying is like, all right, this, this whole secret society, you know, back, you know, back room plan to do all of these different things is you're like, look, I'm a young global leader in the world economic forum. I haven't been invited. These things aren't real. That's basically what you're saying, right? Well, it's like, are, there is no, there is no them Exactly. By the way, they, they, I just like saw it like today that they now, which I think is wrong, by the way, because the world economy was meant to bring people together originally, like whatever, what is it now, 40 years ago, to discuss things in private. And by the way, it's like in a marriage. Like every problem you and your wife would ever have, hopefully you have none, but like you might have one once in a while, <laughs> and you're forced to do it always on your podcast. In front of the whole world. <laughs> no, someone that would break because yeah, you need sure. that moment. It's like the Kardashians at that point. Well, exactly. So yeah. we're obsessed with so that. So it becomes a show. And now the World Economic Forum is, is, I think, completely online. Like people can log in and see anything. Like sort of, and what does it mean? Like you don't need to go to any session anymore because nobody says anything. Like because the CEOs, they're sitting there, they scripted like- uh, Oh, because uh, now, now it's public, nobody's actually you, you talking. You still say something, maybe people meeting behind the doors, but like it, they, it's all becoming 
because like you can't even have like meeting or the, the sessions like a while ago, they were still private, even if 50 people were, and that made people a little bit more comfortable because we live in that world, which even in our podcast, I'm like thinking and sitting here like, who could, because I don't care. Yeah. But like, yeah, I always decide not to care because okay. I think otherwise yeah, yeah. you become a, a lame douche. Yeah. But like, you know, <laughs> seriously, like, no, like I'm so annoyed about these political correctness, especially in the US. But like, I even see it with myself. You have always this sort of thing in your head, like, okay, what is if I say one sentence which taken out of context right. yeah, can be completely misinterpreted. Yeah. You have to say, I don't give a fuck, but like, yeah, but like it's most CEOs do give yeah, a fuck, yeah. like sort of, and that's bad. And I think it's, it meaning this is, I think this is the real evil. I think not conspiracy theories. Yeah. Not politics show the real evil of our times is this sort of wrongly, there, it was a good element in political correctness when it was intended to really protect people. Right. Yeah. Obviously you shouldn't be rude, but by the way, your parents should have learned and told you that you shouldn't be rude yeah, yeah. to people. Yeah. But like that completely went insane into the speak police and thought police and whatever, yep. Yeah. which is weirdly not even coming from the government. It's coming from, from a marginalized or a small part of society, which found ways like Twitter to enforce that but I think there is always an element of willingness on the other side because nobody's forcing me to politically politic correct or be too overly woke. Yeah. That's why I'm not, I've decided not to be it. Like, I think the real, like the real lame people are like maybe hundreds of CEOs. If you think about it, what happens? Like somebody says something, it's taken out of context. There is a big Twitter wave, um, which is completely meaningless. Twitter is completely meaningless. So all that stuff, because mm. like, yeah, I still 80, 90% of people I know don't read Twitter. Yeah. So, but this wave is building up and someone it's reaching a boardroom or it's reaching an investor, whatever. Yeah. And then someone, a cowardish CEO is like, oh, if I don't say anything about this employee who said something apparently wrong, whatever, it could be bad. I could, there is some business guy at the end. And if yeah. hundred CEOs would say, we don't give a fuck about that. Yeah. Nobody would care after a certain period of time because then suddenly that wave of, of um, agitation would be very boring because there would be no consequence and there right. shouldn't be any consequence. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, this, so this is, a, this is a, obviously a nuanced topic. And I think the impetus for people's vices to be, to be like transparent, I think was good when they're actual vices. If somebody's being actually abusive, actually exactly, sexually yes. abusive, actually racist, like, of course, like that's not, that's not cool. Like let that go out. Exactly. Like, so that's there's, like, there's actual but real we shit. Known before, but there's actual like, real shit about it. And then there's also this, then there's also these, it, but it goes farther and farther and farther and gets weaponized. And what you're saying is, you know, back in the day, when the mob got riled up, got agitated, they would come with ropes and pitchforks and fire. And actually to your physical body, you know, and tragically millions of people, I think the estimates are 9 million witches got burned in Europe with quote witches, which were probably oh, wow. doing the same yeah. things that you're doing in your labs, you know, <laughs> for your for really like they were probably working with the same plants and psychedelic medicines and consciousness. Same thing I've been doing. I mean, I would have been burned a thousand times over as a warlock, I guess, as a male witch, but nonetheless, like it actually had physical consequences to your flesh. Now, when the mob comes, they have pixels that make words on screens, but not pitchforks. And yes, I know sometimes it can affect your job and sometimes it can affect something else in your life, but we're actually in a very safe time. It just feels unsafe. 
But actually, if you just say, what are you doing? Throwing pixels at me? No, so as long as you have sort of, I think the mean thing is, I always joke is that it's, I'm the only person who can fire me, which is good. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. but there are unfortunately people who are dependent on other people. Like you have a job, right. and whatever. And that's where it gets dangerous. Yeah, and that's where it gets dangerous. This is why I think like, again, this is why I think the real sort of where it should actually end is like, you can complain about people and you can have different opinions and you can have a debate, but like, consequence, I think we had a great achievement in the Western world that real consequences are actually taken or decided by judges and courts. And, and it has yeah. to be. That's the and, only place we where it, we, yeah. this is taken away. Uh, yeah. That, that it, it cannot be justice if it's mob justice. It yeah. just can't be justice. By the very nature of it being mob justice, it's not justice. And we're losing that a bit. We're losing so, yeah. that. We're losing that understanding. And we, we have like a, we have a fetish for vigilante films where it's like somebody's doing something bad and there's a cop, but the cop can't go through the system because the justice that's needed is justice yeah. that's beyond the system, right? And we all have this trained in our mind where it's like, no, no, no. Actually, the system was developed for a fucking reason. And yes, it's imperfect. And yes, sometimes people okay. escape yep. it. And yes, blah, blah, blah. But we have to rely on that because otherwise the fervor of the mob will create madness, just like we saw in Salem, just like we saw all of a sudden everybody's a witch and all of a sudden there's fires across town. Like We have to be mindful that the system is there to protect all of us. And yes, it, we may lose a couple times by using the system, but overall, like it's the best thing we got. Yeah, 100%. So during this podcast full of many guest appearances from our kitties, we took a quick, short restroom break and upon returning, Christian wanted to talk about his opinion on vaccines. So we roll right into the conversation. So apologies for the abrupt reintroduction, but I believe you'll be able to pick up with the thread of the conversation from where we started recording. The short version, by the way, is for yourself as well. I think being vaccinated is good. However, the mRNA vaccine was not made for sort of viruses originally, if you remember, remember an A mm -hmm. was the original idea was to, to make a cancer vaccine, which means if you already have cancer, mm -hmm. you train your body yep. to attack the cancer. So, which is a very smart idea. So, and like everything in, in, in medicine, it's always about the balance or like to, to make a, a judgment call, what's the problem I want to solve and what what's I'm willing to pay. Yep. So if you're having cancer, you don't care about myocarditis uh, if it's a risk because right. you still want to cure the cancer. So the mRNA vaccine or mRNA the technology is really, really valuable. Yeah? And what it does, it creates a very strong immune response. By the way, which this is what it's meant to do. Like that's why it's a great technology. Yeah? So, and sort of in the panic in COVID, we used it, which was also not even wrong because we didn't know what COVID is doing. So I was like, look, one-time mRNA, whatever. But like, it's not meant to be used all the time mm. for a fairly non-deadly thing for younger people like COVID. Like, yeah, so, so practically my view is don't use mRNA all the time. Don't get boosted all the time because it does, it has side effects, yeah. And this is all what people describe online, yeah. Again, depends what you were like sort of optimizing Yeah, so for. basically what you're saying is that the vaccine is doing what is it is intended to do. It's creating these spike proteins and these antibodies or whatever, whatever mechanism it is to actually fight off some portion of what COVID contained. And but it had it comes with a cost. Yes. Is what you're so saying. and especially it seems to come, the cost seems to get higher and higher the more often you do it. So the boostering is the problem. 
So, so my view is now that we really know what COVID does, now that we have antiviral medication, if people get COVID, now we have the antibodies if people get COVID, now we have other um, vaccines, which are maybe not as effective, but by the way, the flu vaccine is also not 100% effective, yeah? So now that we have a full tool set of how to handle that, yeah, um, I think the mRNA boostering is too aggressive. It doesn't make sense anymore to sort of pay that price yeah, if you have sure. other alternatives. And there's a lot of data about the, about the price that's being paid. And this goes into also potential, you know, suppression of the speech and suppression of the narrative, like we were talking about, that is now becoming exposed, where even in the Twitter files, certain doctors who are sharing information. And um, this is part of the story that I think do, doesn't want to get told by the powers that be that are benefiting from additional cash generated from boosters and stuff. Yeah. By the way, I still like, what I'm thinking a lot is, and I have no answer, is like, I mean, you, the Twitter files seem to be a very concrete group of people colluding, like right. Biden team, Twitter, whatever. But like often, I think people, things happen, but it's not because 10 people met in a room. Right and said, oh, let's do that. But more because one comes to the other. So there is no evil superpower. That's what I actually wanted, maybe to make people more precise what I wanted to say with the World Economic Forum when I said, there are no conspiracies possible. Maybe there are some, but like it's, it's often things, and this is by the way, the sad truth. The sad truth is that our world is maybe so chaotic and things are so often happening kind of randomly that this is truly frightening people. And actually it's frightening me a bit. Yeah. So that thinking that there are, I don't know, 50 secret leaders orchestrating everything gives people a comfort that at least somebody is in charge. <laughs> yeah. And that's not the case. Yeah. So there's no one, there's no so, one driving this ship. Yes, are you serious? No, that's the point. I was expecting there is no least, one driving. At so, least 10 evil wizards. And then you look at China, then you have a country where there are people in charge. There you have that. You have maybe, yeah. what is the, the standing committee, 12 people or whatever. Like they are in charge. That's not what I want. Like I'd rather have this chaos as uncomfortable as it is than having a group of people like, being fully in charge uh, of everything. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, and I think right now we're in a period where, you know, things are becoming more and more transparent and exposed as we're seeing with the Twitter files, as we're seeing with, it's very, it's much harder to keep a secret now, not only for us, but for everybody. everybody. Yeah, for exactly. So, everybody. Which is on the side, it's healthy, but then it's, again, it's not healthy. It's very, I think it's, I think the true problem is, which we all appreciate too little, is that, Life is, and the world, and we as humans inside in our brain and everything, everything is way more complex than we want to admit. And I think we crave wrongly for simplification. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And by the way, that is maybe that what we talked about political correctness is, you said, look, and totally correctly, like there were things or are things where if somebody is harassing somebody or whatever, that's bad. And we have to outlaw that as a society. But then there's other cases. And the truth is we need to discuss all these nuances. Right. But we live in a world where nuances are completely lost. Everybody wants to be 
black or white and you're almost afraid to discuss things. Yeah? yeah. And, but, and the truth is, again, if I look at many sort of whatever from technology to whatever political stuff we're involved, everything is really fucking complicated. Yeah. yeah. So, and it's very, very, and we should appreciate or at least accept that complicated, how complicated it is and accept that, for example, also two truths can be, uh, can be true at the same time. It is, I, I would say it is, it was the right thing to do, which some whatever right-wing people would say, why do you say that? Like, it's, I deeply believe scientifically it was the right, wing to, uh, right thing to do to develop these vaccines as quickly as they were developed because we didn't know everything about COVID. Like, it could have been way worse than we thought. Yeah, so the people really wanted to protect the population and everything and was right. People, so people have to remember it was Trump that created Operation Warp Speed. Yeah, and it's exactly and, and it's also tried the right to make thing it to as do, fast as possible. To now look at it and say, okay, do we still need it? Did we overreact? Yeah. yeah. Again, many admit things when, can admit be true when at you're the same wrong. Time. Like, listen, I mean, I think a lot of people's criticism came with the mandates. Like, I think the idea that you should force somebody to take it—that's where a lot of people and I and I completely agree. I think like, there was indeed. I think. I still wouldn't have a full opinion on it because it was a very complicated question because like four vaccines, again, the question was how, how afraid have you, have we been, have people been who had to take the decision ultimately of how bad this could get? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And by the way, if we would sit here now and COVID would have turned out to be way worse, yeah, we would maybe applaud the same people for right. a vaccine mandate, yeah. So I think that was the most complicated decision because it goes into the individual freedom. But also like, again, it's also true at the same time that vaccinating your population just makes sense, yeah, if you get to a, a certain threshold, yeah. What about so, the libertarian in you that says, this is what I'm saying, don't you fucking force no, me No, this is what I'm saying. It's not easy and I don't even have the full answer for myself. Right. I was thinking, of it, but like, I would say, although I'm libertarian, in that moment, I most likely would have taken the same decision to make a vaccine mandate. Yeah. And A, we should be able to discuss it and discuss it. Yeah. Actually, again, but I think the, it's, it has big parts to do with the media. I would rather have whatever, a Fauci or anybody who was involved say that they had doubts because they did have, I know so many of my friends in Germany who were in government back then, like they they were, meaning they weren't, yeah, nobody I mean, was prepared for a pandemic. Just yeah. say like, look, so, this was a really fucking tough choice. And we felt like if we didn't mandate this, this thing could spread wildly and kill a bunch of different people. So we did it. We didn't like that we did it, but you know, so you could actually paint a picture that's not evil people trying to depopulate the world, yeah, no, but, but actually what I just yeah. tough decisions that turned out to be wrong decisions, but tough decisions. What I can say, by the way, most, I was say, not say all, this is such a generalist state, but like most of the top people, like I had the pleasure to know and know our chancellor, former chancellor Merkel really well. Most of the people I met- Former chancellor of who? Oh, Germany, Merkel, yeah, yeah. Or, or Kagami, or Rwanda, whatever, or in generally also business leaders, most of them do mean well. That is actually sad to see how yeah. everything they're doing is sort of twisted in as if there is an evil plot. They are all humans. They can make mistakes. Yeah. Again, they, they, they know how complicated the world is they're operating in. Right. And maybe we lost or they should communicate that more, but maybe it would upset people more if they would really understand how complicated the world is, yeah. But like, so so I I really want to protect a little bit like what, if I read like, yeah, the world economy, stuff like that actually hurts me a bit because all the people I know who are running these think tanks, whatever, right. they, they have opinions on things. They maybe 
are on one side or the other side of the political spectrum, but they do mean well. I've never encountered, maybe because I never encountered those 50 people, but no joke. <laughs> but like, uh, but yeah. I, I, yeah, I, this you is- You would have, I mean, th look, the thing is, is it no, feels like you would have been approached. Yeah, I if always think that. Oh, I did something wrong. No, if, yeah, just, <laughs> if, that, if such a thing existed, you would, uh, you would probably know. Yeah, no, but honestly, it's really important for everyone that they, most leaders I ever met in my life, and I met a lot, especially in politics, they do mean well. Yeah. Yeah. We, we might disagree with them on what well means or on their, but like, but again, I think what mostly what we need back is what I would wish for, I think it's not coming, like is more nuance, more accepting. Yeah. So in, in the lineage teachings of, you know, Hebrew mysticism, there's the Torah and the Testaments and the Zohar, which are like the sacred texts. And then there's the Talmud, which is explaining all of the nuances. And Ari Shafir has a great comedy special called Jew. And he talks about one of the nuances they explore in the Talmud, which is religious doctrine, which is going into the nuance. And of course, there's a mandate that Jews shouldn't have pork products. So no ham. And then they have a whole section in the Talmud that talks about how much, if some ham gets in your soup accidentally, how much ham can, it, do you, can you actually just eat and it's all cool? And, and how much ham is in there that you have to throw the whole soup away, right? Nuance. It's actually doesn't really matter about the ham, but what it's, it's teaching is fucking nuance. And they make a decision. They say 160th, as long as it's no more than 160th ham, you're good. Eat it. No problem. God's cool with it. Everything's good. So they make a they make a line because you have to make a line somewhere, right? Like you can't have ah there was a smell of bacon cooking from the next neighbor and a particle of ham got in my food. Let's throw it all away. Like it gets absurd. So you have to you have to understand the nuance of everything and I think that's a part of the it's a part of the way that we need to apply thinking that it's not black and white. There's nuance to everything. And sometimes you just have to put a line somewhere and say like, all right, this is too much ham. And then I, I would say philosophically or like uh, poetically speaking, like that nuances make life awesome. Like it would be yeah. really suck. Life would be just black and white. And like, yeah, I think everything we're enjoying yeah, is coming from that complexity of everything. Yeah. One of the things, so just to wrap up the World Economic Forum, one of the things that I think freaked people out was this um, ad they put out that said, basically, by 2030, you will own nothing and you will be happy. You know, they, so they put, that, they put that out on a commercial. You will own nothing and you will be happy. World Economic Forum, right? And like, what, 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 is, what was that plan? It felt, so because what it seemed like is like, yo, somebody's got a plan and they haven't told us this yet and they leaked some I, of it. No, I mean, then they wouldn't put it on an ad. Like, like, right. so, so, no, I think I vaguely remember that it was there. They did a big study on how ownership preferences evolve. And the truth is, for example, by the way, it's nothing conspiracy that younger people don't want to own their car anymore because they, they want to, they want to lease. They, they want to, no, they, they have an Uber. Yeah. Mm. I don't own a car, by the way. Like, why should I? Like, yeah, there's always an Uber and there's always a driver and there's always something. Like, why should I own a car? Yeah. So, and I think this was this whole, it was a completely economic observation that, that mm. certain, that a younger generation has different preferences in terms of owning a house, owning a car, <laughs> owning some of the, by the way, which completely neutrally, like this will change the world a lot because like in Germany, 20%, I just have that number in my head, 20% of the German industry are, or the German GDP are related to cars. 
So if, if suddenly in 20 years, cars are less important and you have less cars because people are sharing cars, sharing economies, the, I think was the headline of their study, then this is an important thing to look at. And I think this was all they wanted to say. They wanted to say there is a change yeah. in consumer behavior. Yeah. And then people, <laughs> by the way, and why? Because people, what people are thinking is, but oh, they're going to take away everything yes, you own like, and like, you're going to have nothing left. And I was trying to way, think, like, had how a the picture, fuck does that work? I had, a, I, had a, I had one photo shooting, just like how people, and I think they want to do they, where I did something like that like and why, why I did it because the photographer said I shall do it it so might look cool you just made a diamond and, with your hand and they yeah. well it, it looked cool like it looked artistically cool and somebody then whatever said oh my god this is the secret symbol of the World Economic Forum that like whatever I was like what the bullshit like it's like yeah, yeah. and the same like yeah no. I mean my logo that says AM it's an A which is and then in the middle it has an M and they're like, that's a Freemason symbol, bro. Yeah. I know exactly. No, it's not. It's my initials. Exactly. You know, I got it. Yeah. And I got that logo. I went on 99 designs and I crowdsourced this logo. Okay. Sometimes the life is easy. Like from yeah. homie in Indonesia, who's a badass designer, developed this and I paid him the premium gold price and fucking got this logo. No, it's so funny. I think people, when, when the world is really complex, they want to simplify and what the answer is really simple. You went on 99 designers or what it's called. Like they want to make a huge complexity out of it. It's completely, <laughs> yeah. By the way, there, there is these uh, medieval, uh, what is it called? Uh, I think it's called Occam's Razor. Occam's Razor, yeah. yeah. Where is it the one where you say like always the simplest explanation, yeah. which by the way is a good thing for life. Yeah, by the, the way. simplest explanation is, is, is typically the true explanation. Yeah. So that people should apply more. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And and most of the time, most of the time it's right. And then occasionally And then it should be yeah. Occasionally there's there's the aberrations to that. But this idea that what the World Economic Forum was saying is that we're moving into a shared economy where people are actually going to be sharing homes as we already do with Airbnb. Exactly. Cars, and like and and they just phrased it in a way where they shouldn't have said nothing. Because obviously you'll own something. You're gonna own my underwear. You know, it's not like our underwear. You know, it's yeah. like, no, it's fucking mine. And these are my these are my shoes. You know, like these are my, this is my stuff. I think it was just misguided communication. Whatever they thought, like, like, but again, I think it's a, it's a, it's a hard job when the whole world is trying to find a mis, actively misinterpret whatever you're saying. So one of the things that I noticed about the World Economic Forum is recently there was, I don't know if it was officially or unofficially, there was some psychedelic medicine that was actually brought out to one of the events. And I saw a few different articles about this. And it was a boof, there was like, I think Bufo, 5-MeO-DMT, and some other things that were connected at least. And again, you know, this is not, I don't have for sure proof about this, but it was this interesting moment. And what I saw happen is it spread around the community because I'm in deeply in the psychedelic community. And the question was, because there's this idea that World Economic Forum is bad and up to bad things. And I think we've exposed a lot of that thinking here, hopefully. And, and I, and I just want to say like, what I feel from you is I believe you. And also I have to recognize that I have a bias. I want to believe you. I want to believe that actually. So I understand that there is some bias, but I feel like I believe you and I want to believe you. So for anybody who wants to call me out, there may be some bias because I do want to believe that what you're saying is true. Like Hanlon's razor also like, do not ascribe malice to that, which could be described by yeah. ignorance, you know, it, Okay, like I, I'm with that 100%. So anyways, this, uh, this merger, this combination between psychedelics and the World Economic Forum, which is actually embodied by you yourself. You are the founder and chairman of 
a couple different psychedelic companies and a member of the WEF. But anyways, psychedelics were being woven into the form. And the question was, oh, well, either they're using these using these tools for their nefarious, nefarious <laughs> you know, plan, or this is actually like they're just looking out at the world like everybody else going, wow, these things can really help our mind. And I, I have trouble going to sleep I mean, at the night. The answer, to my knowledge, is neither nor. Because like what people confuse is that there is a World Economic Forum event, yeah, what they call Davos. It's happening in Davos. And then they have uh, multiple re so-called regional events throughout the year. Um, and in order, and it's happening very, by the way, banal in the Davos Convention Center. Yeah. And in order to enter the Davos Convention Center, you need to be a member of the World Economic Forum. So then, because we're in this politically correct time, like, and this makes me now look very old, because like when I started going to Davos, yeah, they were still able to completely cut off the whole village because nobody cared or cared. But like, it was a different time. It was like, whenever I went to Davos the first time 14 years ago. So it was practically a synonym. Everybody who was in Davos was automatically also a member of the World Economic Forum because you literally couldn't enter the village for a week. So every year that was sort of weakened because we went into this time where we have to be very transparent and where you can't cut off a whole village for the elitists of the World Economic Forum. So in the meantime, every single person can go to Davos. Because it's a village. Yep. Yeah. So you can go in three weeks, I think it is again, or two and a half weeks, where we like, oh, okay, this is like most likely published after, but like yeah. in January, yeah, people can go to Davos and say, I'm in Davos. And because still in the mind of the people, Davos and the World Economic Forum is a synonym, but they might be in Davos physically, but they might not be right. at the World Economic Forum. So right. what it's happening- It's like South by Southwest in Austin. Exactly. There's, there's, the, there's so, the official event and then there's a million events so, that are happening. And to my happening. knowledge, and I'm really following that part closely, is that on the official World Economic Forum agenda, yeah, there was not a psychedelic theme. Yeah, there was longevity themes yeah, and they going into mental health, whatever, but like gradually, but there were side events who had nothing to do with the World Economic Forum. Yeah, side events happening. So you also need to think now, why do some people in the psychedelic community who are so suspicious of the World Economic Forum still seek out the affiliation, although they're not even affiliated, which is another discussion, <laughs> yeah? So which also shows you a lot of human psychology, yeah? But these were just events happening coincidentally, so to say, yeah. at the same time as the World Economic Forum in the same city, Davos. But it was not the same. Right. So this is why the answer is there is no conspiracy, nothing or no even overlap because Mm -hmm. So so let's talk let's talk about let's talk about the psychedelic movement and the psychedelic renaissance that's happening as well and I think one of the you know one of the big concerns that a lot of the people who are kind of psychedelic traditionalists let's say is that oh like we shouldn't you know medicalize and pharmaceuticalize these sacred medicines you know considering of course there's the plants themselves but then there's the derivatives of the plants and they're all considered i think by the psychedelic traditionalists as the sacred medicines and the sacred should not be commodified is the traditionalist viewpoint and and i fully respect that viewpoint because look these medicines are sacred i've i've experienced the most sacred things you could possibly ever imagine through the guidance and support and help of these different compounds. So I fully understand that argument, but I also understand the complexity of the world we're in and actually that by using the pharmaceutical machine, at least from my view, like 
allowing the psychedelics to enter through the pharmaceutical machine, which was led, of course, by MAPS, pushing the MDMA-assisted psychotherapy through as one of the real leaders. And then quickly thereafter, psilocybin from, you know, those trials that are coming. It's actually helpful to get this out into the world. It's actually like a distribution mechanism with some controls in place that actually is helpful ultimately. And it doesn't preclude you going down to Oaxaca and doing mushrooms with, you know, uh, a maestra, maestra down there or going to Peru and studying with, you know, my teacher, Maestro Orlando Chuandama, the Quechua tradition where he's brewing his own. It doesn't preclude you from doing that. You know, and and I think that's, I think, also a nuance where people, they're either very like traditionalists or like orthodox fundamentalist or, or not. And, and, or, or they just see everything as a drug without the sacred, without the sacredness attached. It's just a drug. It's just a compound. It's just everything, just like Valium, you know, yeah. like, no, it's not, it's different. Um, but, but again, there's, it's like the complexity. I don't think people are really grasping. But it was perfectly said, like, <laughs> this is normally what I say about when the question comes up, how do you marry like sort of, um, just, um, the, the sacred nature of the drugs or what I believe in, because like for interestingly, like funnily, like people also that it's never of the, both things can be true at the same time. Yeah. I'm sort of, I believe in capitalism. I believe mm -hmm. in drug development, biotech drug development, that this is the right way to bring new medicine to people. But at the same time, as a, uh, as an individual, it's not a scientific answer. And I can explain you scientifically what psychedelics do, but as an individual answer, as a personal answer, I very, very much believe in the religious part of it. And right. I do believe that psychedelics are a pathway or a connection to the divine and whatever you want to call it, God or yourself or your soul or whatever. Sure. I think the, the problem is always when you start talking about religion. It's Nomenclature like, becomes exactly, an issue. Because yeah. then people have, we are so wired to have an immediate, when I say God, then a Hindu might have an immediate, completely different picture. But interestingly, like, I think when people have done psychedelics, they know what you want to say. Yeah. But like, so, but I believe in both. <laughs> it's the God and, you know. <laughs> and it's, but it's exactly what you said. There is no competition. I think some people, and again, these are just so little, by the way, because most spiritual people I meet who really, because interestingly, you should be chilled out if you're very spiritual and should accept that humans are different and that they're different ways, whatever. So, but unfortunately, I would say that psychedelics seem to produce the same amount of salads. I think that's the- Zealots. Zealots, yeah. yeah. And, and, and sort of extremists like any other religion as well. That seems yep. to be almost wired in that some people turn to that, but it's a small number. Yeah, because I would say they, these two sort of practices, they, they at least the minimum, they can perfectly coexist next to each other. Mm -hmm. I think even better, I think it's they very much supporting each other. For example, right. by our medical work in an FDA framework, approving those those medicines, we actually give so much credibility to sort of the more sort of indigenous yeah. way to Indeed. do it. And I, I do believe that there is, I had this wonderful experience where um, uh, a girl was emailing me on Instagram who I frankly don't know. I think we did shake hands at an event I was speaking and I was talking about psychedelics and she had never done it. And she then felt the calling after and she did it. Actually, she went to uh, Costa Rica did it uh, at Rhythmia, I think it's called. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and wrote me this super beautiful email 
um, or, or message on Instagram, how much it changed her life. Yeah. So, so, and, but this, she would maybe have been a person if we wouldn't have created the scientific right. sort of studies, she would maybe have been too anxious to go to the jungle and do it with a shaman. Yeah, like, and look, so, I, I'm also excited about this reality. Somebody goes in to help their anxiety and, and like, okay, I'm here for my anxiety. I'm here for my psilocybin treatment for anxiety. They go in to treat their anxiety and they, their anxiety is getting treated, but it's getting treated because it's opening their heart to the possibility of their eternal unborn and undying soul. And it's absolute inextricability with the one love, truth, beauty, intelligence of all there is, God. And they find that and they're like, oh, wow, I'm a little bit less stressed out yeah, now. Yeah, and by the way, and then also like, then are, there are people who don't, have a spiritual experience, but still I helped. And it's sure. also okay. There That's is also no, good too. Exactly. And there is, and by the way, what we always, and we, I say like, because you and I have the same view and like a lot of like sort of more psychonauts, like I think we all underestimate that we are like the 1%. Like, by the way, two things, we are the 1% financially because whoever tells me at the moment, in this moment of time that uh, he or she, or that they are going to, Costa Rica, so uh, yeah. they already have the money to buy the flight. Like, and it's, it's as we shouldn't treat that normal. There are many, right. many people who couldn't say, oh, I'm flying and then I pay the shaman and then I take three weeks off. Like yep. there is a lot of luxury and entitlement when people yeah, say like, sure. oh, this is the way it should be. Like, I was like, hey, there are 300 million people yeah, who, first of all, many, many of them don't have the luxury to take three weeks off and go to the jungle. They don't have the money to pay it for themselves. They maybe don't have the courage but maybe they don't want that at all. If I look at my parents, like my parents, they really, really, and I convinced them at some point to do it because I'm their son, but they really profit from it, but they don't want to go to a shaman. Right. They would be actually way more happier. And luckily at the end, they trusted me, but like, what they want is to go to their doctor they seeing since 50 years mm -hmm. yeah, and take it with them. Like, it's like, we should accept that different people have different views, but that the medicine and that's the beauty of it, does help many of them. Right. Yeah, And it's not one way to do it. Yeah. And industry, I, I'm bothered by that, that often the, the, um, the various, or at least some people coming from the religious side sort of try to enforce a certain way. I'm not trying to enforce a certain way. I'm trying to develop one way, which is yeah. the medical way in the medical system, which I believe will, is the, fastest way to get it to the people who really need it, which by the way, always should be the guiding principle. The guiding principle should be not people like you and me who do profit a lot, but we are not rock bottom depressive. Yeah. Mm. So the guiding principle should be, how can we make sure that these super valuable medicines come to the hundreds of millions of people who have no alternative, who tried everything, who have a miserable life yeah, and who want it and need it within the medical system. Yeah. And then by doing that, that's what we are doing with Atai and Compass. And by doing that, I think all the other sort of options around, which are equally valuable, I don't even want to judge what is more valuable. Like they are profiting because again, people might say, you know what? I read about the science yeah. Compass is paying for in Atai, but I have the feeling I should do it in a traditional. Great. Yeah. And we gave you the confidence to do it. Great. Go ahead. There's two things I want to touch on. Um, one, you know, one that comes up is one of the criticisms that I've heard of Compass from some of the more tradition, psychedelic traditionalists and also from people who just have a sense of things and are trying to figure it out is the patent strategy. 
It's like, oh my God, Compass is out. They're patenting all of these compounds and that's going to prevent anybody from ever being able to use them, right? So it, it, what people are worried about is that the patents are going to lock them up. And then, you know, you, in this but that's case- that's what they meant to do. That's by what the they way. meant to do. So they're, <laughs> they're going to get locked up and no one's going to ever it, be able to use them. But the thing is, is that no, they're like already- No, that, that, that is, sorry, because so I really, like, this is really one of my favorite topics. First of all, every day somebody complains about the patents of Compass and Atai, mm-hmm. it's a good day because <laughs> no, it confirms that we did something right because that's what patents should do. And by the way, you don't complain in any, or you like, in any other biotech field. Having patents is the most normal and basic thing of biotech development because Compass at the very end, when hopefully in a year, one and a half from now, Compass will have an approved psilocybin, which will make the world a better place. So big out, big shout out to George and Katya who get way too much criticism for nothing because like they did something amazing as sort of the pioneers uh, in that field. Like they're going to have invested hundreds of millions. I think it's going to be north of $500 million, which was needed to advance a medical drug to approval. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And the only way... By the way, I'm the biggest investor. Yeah? The only way, as much as I want to give money to everything I want to, like right. I have to think about making money back. That's my job. Yeah. And the only way to raise that amount of money, and the same is true for a tie, yeah, is to make sure that once we succeed, we're gonna make that money back and more, because that's the capitalistic way. Yeah. And that's what patents do. So they will prevent that other people in the medical system can use psilocybin because we paid for it. However, it does not prevent any shaman growing their own mushrooms. That's a completely different world. That's, I think, yeah. what people are afraid of. They're afraid of some some uh, patent police, you know, but task that is a force completely that wrong, to come in, exactly, I'm always come, in to, come into George and Maria's fucking yes, hut. Yes, or I always jokingly say, I'm not going to come to Burning Man and <laughs> knocking on every caravan and say, pay me my royalties for the... No, it's, but it, it's, a, it's a complete misunderstanding, literally. It's funny, but I do think people believe it. Like, yeah. yeah, so, and that makes them scared. And then even though we understand it, like, obviously, like, it's two different worlds. Like, but what it means is that any medical psilocybin used by doctors to treat patients paid by the healthcare insurance will be compass psilocybin. And that is good. It's just, it seems like people are getting an initial reaction. And this is, this is just my sentiment as well. And and probably people are going to be mad at me because they're still in this initial reaction, but these compounds are already illegal, first of all, which is a way bigger problem than a patent, a patent infraction or something like that. And, and so when these get legalized, actually, so I've seen this with I've seen this with ketamine. So I forget which pharma company, but they repatented s ketamine and and actually repatented. It was a subversion, but oh, well, okay, yeah. So they J and J patented s ketamine, and then that actually opened the field for ketamine to be prescribed off label. Now I have wonderful prescriptions from my, this company I'm involved with called WonderMed. They send me these lozenges. I have unbelievable journeys here on my own. Thank you to <laughs> J&J for, for pushing S-ketamine forward, which is a derivative that they patented of ketamine, which then opened the whole field of unpatentable ketamine because it's already been around forever. And now I get to do it in my, with my fucking mindfold on in my bedroom. And I wasn't able to do that before. So like it's already worked in our favor one time in a hugely beneficial way. Yes, I can't agree more. And that's, I think, what I think people are, they're just, 
I understand, but I also understand the fear. You know, I also understand, especially in the in the climate that we've had, where it feels like pharma has an agenda that's ruthless and just about profiteering and at all cost and this kind of this idea. But I think really what it comes down to is yes, there may be some of that, but there's nuance in everything, you know, and that's what people are not potentially adequately seeing is just the the nuance of the whole picture and also following the threads all the way through about what will actually happen. Yeah, I mean, as, as, as it is, a lot of misunderstanding. There is this in generally idea that pharma is bad, which is, by the way, also wrong. Like pharma is not bad. Pharma is not a conspiracy. Like is pharma uh, profit-driven? Yes, like every company should be profit-driven, but actually being profit-driven actually tells them or or supports new drugs being developed all the time. If pharma wouldn't be profit-driven, a lot of the science wouldn't happen because like profit or the hopefully the the prospect of profit is what is driving the economy and what is driving companies. If you would take the profit out, we tried that in communistic systems. And yeah, um, go to people in Venezuela because you should go to people who are really in systems who try that stuff or go to people who were in former Russia or in former Korea, uh, Korea yeah. whatever, ask them if they like it. Yeah. So, and why, and when people here don't like the capitalistic system, why don't they move to Venezuela or to Cuba or to North well, Korea? I think like, the problem, no, like, the problem like, that Brett Weinstein yeah. elucidates is, is the problem of capture. It's the fact that actually the money, and, and if everybody was actually good actors and everybody was act, acting within the bounds of actually the law. Because, you know, these big pharma companies, there's been $2 billion fines and $1 billion fines for different frauds and different ways that they've manipulated data. So it's actually when they do, when they cross the line and do kind of a morally, you know, either criminal, which they've been punished for. I mean, pretty much nobody has a clean record in pharma as far as like not getting, well, compass in a tie and, and may that always be, you know, may that always be the case. But very few big players in pharma have a clean record of not being fined and punished for criminal fraud or some kind of kind of activity like that. Um, and there's, you know, certainly seems to be those borderline moral things where money was chosen over, over the greater good. And, and that's, but I think if you just focus on that, you're missing the nuance of the whole thing, which is like, all right, this is the, these are the negative aspects of this system, but it's still the best system. We just have to help yeah. like change these negative aspects. Maybe, maybe that it's the same, like we say about democracy, it's not perfect, but it's sort of is the best one we so as so far as society came up with. And the same is I think capitalism. Capitalism is not perfect. Yeah. And by the way, you can, we had that before this discussion with FTX, you can have bad actors in any industry. Yeah. Right. But like what I want to say is one of the, like what I, what I, my feeling is in maybe any industry, but also, and especially in biotech and pharma, this is actually an industry where really people want to help other people. It's really like this whole idea, because I get the question all the time and luckily people don't see us as pharma, they see us as biotech. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But like people who go into pharma and biotech overall want to help people, which is by the way, the great thing of that industry. It's maybe the, the most satisfying industry to be in because always when you're successful, you do help people on sometimes small stuff. Well, when usually you're, when you're successful, you help people. Some cases where you've created something that doesn't. But in people. generally, in drug general, development yeah. wants to heal people and solve people. Yeah? Right. And by the way, then moving in the patterns, like 
The great thing is patterns are not forever. This is why they have a lifetime and then somewhere they're over and then somewhere competition comes, which is for enforcing biotech and pharma companies to be innovative and develop better solutions, whatever. And yes, are there people who game the system? Yes, like in any industry. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And this should be bad. It should be sort of seen as bad as from society. But like the, it, we, the overall people, especially and also in pharma and biotech, are good people who want to make sort of a change or want to make things better for, for humans. I've never yeah. encountered, by the way, in 20, I'm in this industry now, investing in biotech since 25 years. Again, I'm very, <laughs> I started very early. So, but like, I never encountered that conspiracy that somebody is withholding stuff, whatever. Yeah. Again, by the way, people are, unfortunately, they are because one of the usual things when I go to a class reunion is like, why is there no solution for cancer yet? Like, is there a conspiracy that pharma companies are holding back? No, it's really, really complex. Like, mm -hmm. and there have been billions and billions of dollars literally uh, sunk. Yeah. And we, because cancer is, I have another theory why cancer we have, but like, it's complicated. That's mm -hmm. the answer. Like, and but people are like, oh no, they must have a solution and they just don't give it to us because they want to, whatever, drip feed us with chemotherapy. No, it's sad that we still have just, or chemotherapy still, it's a very old thing, like it's still one of the pillars shows how complicated cancer is, yeah? Right. And how complicated drug development is, yeah? But it's not because the people are evil. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's been a, this, it's kind of a general theme is there's it's the good and the bad mixed in and that's all there. And there's also bad actors in every, in every industry, in every organization. And, uh, and, you know, if there, if there have been bad actors over the past two years and collusion, which, you know, as we discussed with the Twitter thing, this like small areas of collusion, hopefully those get exposed and then the bad actors are actually pay the consequences yeah. for their actions, you know, and in, and these, and that's, I think what, what is, it is the process that's happening when, you know, when I talk to people who are on the, on the health freedom side, their degree of confidence that actually I just did a podcast with Ed Dowd and he has a degree of confidence that now attorney, attorney generals of the States are looking in to see like if there was any fraud and collusion and if there was suppression of important data, if there was, if there was bad actions, that's being pressed and will actually come out in the legal system. And that's right, so you know. Uh, and that'll and that will actually move forward. And so actually, potentially, the system is clumsily, and, and we face a great challenge. It's clumsily working as it has to to expose what needs to be exposed. But actually, we're we're it's okay. Like, like the process is underway. And things are, we're figuring things out. And I, this is like, it's not now specific to pharma, but like a general rule, which I have in life. And I actually, especially now in downturns, you have portfolio companies not working, whatever, and you easily get angry on other people or you get disappointed or whatever. My rule in life was like giving people the benefit of the doubt that their intentions are good. Yeah. You're going to have people who trick you once in a while. And I think many people then let these few moments, which are actually just a few, there is just one FTX or this very bit. Mm -hmm. There's just, yes, and there are the guys who did uh, the opioids, yeah? Mm -hmm. Yes, there are these bad examples, like, but you forget the way higher number of good people, yeah? Right. Or what I always remind myself when I'm getting whatever, very disappointed or even like defrauded by one person, 
then you have this instinct to become hard, to close yourself, whatever. Right. But then I remind myself how often sort of this, my in generally trusting nature or giving people benefit of the doubt and being very optimistic on ideas, on people, how much that actually has profited me. Yeah. yeah. And if I would now use one thing where I get disappointed to, to, to allow that to change me, yeah, that would be not just sad, that would, I think, over time really cost me a lot. Well, it's like if your partner cheats on you, then all of a sudden you're like, women are unfaithful, exactly. women are unloyal. Yeah. You know, it's like, no, no, your partner just cheated on there you. There was this or individual you know, person. Men are, you know, men are, men are dogs, or, yeah. you know, no, your boyfriend just but slept you, with somebody. But what you do by sort of saying that you actually don't allow you to be happy in the future because you will ruin yeah, every sure. relationship going forward. Sure. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. our cats always want to steal the steal the limelight for those of you watching on video we have a we have a big appearance by our large leopard-like cat <laughs> named Cyrano um so speaking of cats now that he entered the scene I want to I want to ask you about you know your own your own experience with any traditional teachers or ceremonies have you have you been able to go through that portal to experience these psychedelic medicines in the traditional setting with uh, ayahuasqueros or maestros or maestras or or corinderos or wachumeros or, or anybody on the more traditional side so so this is now the answer it's not complicated it's just timeline wise because i know and people know i think it's recorded and you're gonna see that when then i'm gonna have will have had because like i'm gonna have it yeah. from now on but this is before the podcast comes so, out in three weeks which is beautiful it's actually a very uh, interesting story because, uh, I mean, I would say, let's start there. My, I'm very spiritual even before psychedelics. So I, I actually, since um, I brought up Castle Lake, but I always had sort of these, I was always drawn to like, in generally like mysticism from Rumi to mm -hmm. uh, Kabbalah to, um, to in yeah. generally, I believe more, first of all, I don't believe in organized religion. So I believe in, that there is a higher being, which I think is very hard for us to put in, in words at all. Yeah. yeah. So, and then I think people tried it because they wanted to help their fellow people. So I think always, if you look at, in generally, it's a little bit generalized, but like, I was always very interested in the, in sort of the history of religions. So if you go through religions, they normally are good at the beginning because there are people right. who have a spiritual experience and who want to give on that spiritual experience to their fellow humans. Mm -hmm. And then either they stay a cult or we don't even know anymore about them because they vanished. But the problem is we know the ones who transformed from being spiritual uh, to being an organization. Yeah. And an organization by definition can't really be spiritual. And there are great texts if you go in the early days of Christianity when they had their first, what is the English term, when they were meeting up the first sort of- Council. Councils, yeah. Um, and many of these texts are practically acknowledging that people were doing psychedelics mm. uh, because they yeah, were, some they of were the Gnostic, talking- some of the Gnostic texts. They were talking yeah. about, they didn't name, but they were talking about practices which allow you to communicate with God. Mm -hmm. But then the more pragmatic parts of the just starting church we're saying, but this is not how you can run an organization. If your disciples come in the morning and say, you know what? Last night I spoke to God and he told me that. And then the other one is, and me, 
uh, I was told this, yeah, this is how you can't run an organization. So they started actually to say, no, not everybody should do that. Like right. just the priests, just the cardinals, whatever. And at the end, oh no, the only guy who speaks to God is the Pope, the, the pope uh, or the top guy in any church. Like sort of that is unfortunately a transformation most religions we know now, because that's the successful ones in terms of organization, they went through that. And this is why I'm not an organized religion guy, but I think you find beauty in all yeah. of them because in the core, they all tell you, coming back what we said about political correctness, they all tell you, just be a good human being. Just be nice to, this is the core teaching of Jesus is be nice to yourself and be nice to other people and treat other people like you want to be treated. Yeah, and the, the, sad, part, the sad part is that that, so lot. that was lost for so many yeah. years. I mean, we, we already referenced the burning of nine, you know, estimated nine million witches in Europe. Exactly. The tortures of like, the Inquisition. It, it, it completely it's like that, exactly, the antithesis. They, yeah. it's, almost like, it's almost like the church was acting in that way as the Antichrist, yeah. which, so, is like, which is, I know, a very inflammatory thing to say, but if Christ stood for forgiveness and the recognition of the Christ within all people, then the killing and the torturing is anti-Christ consciousness. So the church was actually acting in the opposite in the opposite way of what its intended, what its original intentions were. Yeah. Which is so, sad. Because it became an organization. Yeah. So, but that's my sort of, that is my, my general sort of view on, even before psychedelics, I was very into the, the mystical sides of many religions, try to find the common denominator again, which is, I think, just be a good human being. Yeah. And, um, and then psychedelics sort of, this is why when I took psychedelics, yeah, I was, very open to, again, on the one side, looking at them scientifically and on the other side saying, okay, wow, this is a tool to get closer to yourself, to your soul and to, um, um, and to God. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, do you mind sharing which so, sacrament you're going to be? So, sorry, 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 I lost that. So, but interestingly, so, so far, so the, the one which is missing is, uh, is ayahuasca. Um, and also I'm, Again, this story will have happened when it comes out and then I can report back. But like <laughs> the, so I have a friend who's a, um, a very accomplished um, ayahuasca shaman. So mm -hmm. always when I had people who I felt really needed it uh, for many reasons, yeah. I, was, I was referring um, uh, them to him. And uh, also like, I believe very much, I don't want to say I'm like anti-party use, but I am actually, because like, I believe so much in these substances and especially in the religious mm -hmm. spiritual component that if, if you look at the history of psychedelics and the best book to read is uh, Brian Murescu's um, um, yep. um, Immortality Key, they were actually coming also back at Zolan Tebowon to the pattern discussion, they were always highly regulated. So if you look at the, yeah, by the mystery, mystery schools, exactly, so they wouldn't even tell people what was in them. They wouldn't even they would, tell. Sometimes yeah. it was forbidden by death to tell it to other people. Right. You were not allowed to do it on your own. You had to do it with your therapist. And that's what happened when Alcibiades stole the Kaikion from the, from the mystery school. And then he was exiled from all of Greece because yes, he was so, throwing his own parties with the sacrament. Yes, so it was, it was never out. meant to be a party yeah. drug. It was this, this is why Burning Man are very critical. And no one, like, people like, it's like, at least because like, I think the spiritual part is really, really important. So, but I will say, I, just to throw that out, you can have spiritual experiences in yes, a party setting, you know, and I think it's important to have people, the nuance. There's nuance in yes, that as well. I agree. I agree. So, so, so like, what I want to say is like, I, one of part of that is that I believe you shouldn't be a thrill seeker. 
Yeah, so you shouldn't do it for the party. Yeah, mm. it doesn't mean you, it should be really a sacrament. It should be yeah. like with with reverence. Yeah, full reverence. so and and you should do it, which I very much believe in, because actually my first psychedelic experience was really built up over two years. I would I was very stern. Uh, we talked about it. Like I have never done any other drug, including alcohol. I've never tried it before. Yeah, because I didn't want it in my life. I think drugs, the bad ones, are a product of evil if you want to use the term of the devil, because they feed on all your insecurities and all your weaknesses and they, they, they offer you an easy way out. Right. But the truth is they make it really worse. So that was my view on any drug. I didn't know of psychedelics. So it was really like, it took me two years and many, many, what you could call a coincidence. Yeah. Uh, but meeting scientists randomly, but at a time when nobody was talking about psychedelics. Yeah. And they talked to me about psychedelics, having friends who brought it up so that ultimately I did uh, psilocybin mushrooms in, in 2014. Yeah. So, but there was a way and there was a, Again, if you mm -hmm. want to see it, like, like there was a universe pushing me to that. So I believe there should be either a calling or a push. Yeah. Yep. So, and I didn't have that for ayahuasca because I always thought, okay, I think I got all my answers I have to the divine in my mushroom experiences. Long story short. Um, so I referred though, because I see, and also again in my, in our scientific mm -hmm. work, sort of ayahuasca is stronger. So there are people who profit from it extremely. So I was referring people who I felt they need more than a, a psilocybin trip. I was referring to my friend and all of them came back, problem solved, transformed. So that in October, I was thinking for myself, maybe I should just try it for the sake. It's like, yeah, yeah. from all people, I should be the one who said, just try <laughs> of course, it. Like, yeah. of course. So, and I have so many friends and it's weird recommending people and not having done yourself. So I made an appointment with my friend who's very, very sort of uh, in demand. But then I thought about it two weeks later and I was like, I will never forget that because I was sitting in, uh, in LA with friends and I thought the whole day, I was like, ah, January is getting so full and this is such a commitment. And again, if I want to do it prop then properly, like with the right, um, with the right uh, fasting and everything. So it is a commitment yeah, yeah. in a January, which is sure. already filling up. So I was actually writing the email and I still have the email in my draft folder and sending my friend and saying, look, you have so many people who really need it and you booked out, like do it with somebody who needs it. Uh, I'm going to cancel. I don't need it. And this was the day, and I could really show you, like it's, it was one of the, you can call it a coincidence, where this girl who I, again, socially met in passing at an event I was speaking, yeah, emailed me and not just said what I said before, that she dared because of what, what she heard from me explore that side, but that she had a message from Mother Ayahuasca that I should do Ayahuasca myself and not shy away from it <laughs> because I'm going to get answers on questions I don't even know I have. So I'm very curious. So, what well, that's gonna be. so I sent a screenshot to my shaman friend and he was like, well, if you don't call that a calling, then yeah, it can't yeah. be more. <laughs> it's pretty on the nose. It can't be more direct. I'll yeah. tell you, I'll um, tell you a story that's interesting too with ayahuasca. So uh, it was around 2014 and I was running my company on it and it was off to a great start, you know, and, um, but I, we needed to, I needed some people underneath me to fill out the organization and I get a, I get an email from a guy named Jason Havey who got a message in an ayahuasca ceremony at a place called Blue Morpho down in Peru in an ayahuasca ceremony that he had to come work for me at on it. And ayahuasca was very clear. 
And he was the, he was, he actually had his dream job. He was the manager of a hotel in his hometown in Wisconsin. And it was like, that's always what he wanted to do. And he did it and he made it. And he was like, look, I got to come work for you. I'll be your assistant. I don't care. Like whatever it is, you know, like I know I'm supposed to come work for you. So I was like, ah, uh, well, you're way too qualified to be my fucking assistant. So, and ultimately I hired him and had he had like VP of operations of this thing. He worked his way up and then I handed him the CEO title right at the beginning of 2020. And then he carried on it all the way through the pandemic and all the way through the final sale. And he's been one of my closest friends and one of the great heroes of this company. But it was ayahuasca that specifically told him that come work for me. And he just answered the call. And that's, that's wild. Like that's yes. fucking wild. No, and by the way, I think more people have these experiences and don't dare to talk about it. And I, yeah, this morning I had the discussion with uh, Floria, my colleague, who's the CEO of Atai. So we we are four co-founders, um, and uh, and he was like, "Oh, is it really good that you talk about your spiritual stuff?" <laughs> and, I, and I was like, "Why not? Like, why why are we making sort of that?" boxes and like, oh, if you're a scientist or if you're in science, right. you cannot talk about ABC and like, or if you're, if you're right wing, you cannot talk, be like the same time for something like, uh, the vaccine. Like it's, we making all these rules, which don't make any sense because always come back. Humans are complex. Life is complex. Yeah. We should exchange views. Uh, we don't always need to agree on things, but like we should not shy away to say, that's my opinion. And that's my opinion. And uh, weirdly, I can't have the same, uh, I can't have the same at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. One of the things that I also wanted to talk to you about is that relates to this. I mean, when you have, they call ayahuasca, of course, the vine of souls or the vine of death, because oftentimes you actually pass through your own portal of death, the death of who you think you are to reveal who you really are, which includes who you think you are and transcends it to something else. So it's this kind of death rebirth process that's very common in the psychedelic space. And so it's been curious to me because I've been through that process so many times that I understand death and I have no personally, and I don't expect anybody to believe me, but I personally deeply understand what I believe to be the place that I'm going when I transitioned from this body, because I felt like Same I've here. been there yeah. many times. So Same here. the the idea about longevity and this idea to try to live forever is a curious one for me. Cause I see someone like Ray Kurzweil and I'm like, Ray, if you just did a little bit, <laughs> a little bit more psychedelics, no. you could maybe relax a little bit about trying to live forever. Cause guess what you do and it's all good. And, and, and like, but at the same time, I understand I also want Aubrey not to live the longest, but if I could extend the quality of my life where like I'm sharp and I can still, you know, at 80, get around and like hit, you know, hit a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sex in a jump shot and, you know, like, you know, drive 250 on the golf course or whatever. Like if I could still do that, like, yeah, yeah, I'm into it. You know, but I'm not, it's not about death. It's just about life is awesome. Exactly. And I want the I, most of it. I think people misunderstand and maybe look at me, I, maybe sometimes because again, we're living in a world where we try to simplify things and then I'm posting, oh, I want to defeat death or right. I want to live forever. Yeah. So, which is not the case because first of all, I start there. Living forever doesn't work because forever is a very long time. Statistically, <laughs> no, the, the term forever, yeah doesn't work. So even I tweeted it though. So I'm conscious about it because 
someone's universe will collapse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a new one will start. Yeah. So, um, so forever is never forever. Like, so, but exactly what you say, like, I think it's almost like a game, by the way. I think it's like sort of, we solve that mystery of aging as we solved other mysteries. Yeah. We're going to live, I believe that much longer. I actually believe that it is part of the human, not just psychology, but our nature, because I believe in the spiritual side. Yeah. And in the soul, whatever. So someone our soul wants to die because yeah. very deep down, I think we know that there is something coming and we yeah. want to go there, but why not live here 500 years and then do it? So, and I deeply believe actually that in my lifetime, we will push life expectancy that long. To 500. Well, it will not that we wake up one day and you're going to read in the news, Christian made it and we're living to 500, but it's going to be like Ray is perfectly edge. explaining it. It's going to be a, a continuous prolongation. Like, and there will be this one magic year. And I believe that's going to happen in the next 20, 15 to 20 years where we win more than one year of life expectancy in one year. And then technically we could go on forever because we winning more than we losing. Interesting. Yeah? So it's not, it's not going to so be a you, chump. So in one year you do enough practices and you have enough protocols that actually you extend your life. Let's call it one year and one and half, month. Yeah. Whatever. whatever. Exactly. So, and so we're pushing it, pushing it, pushing it, but it can well be that you and I keep pushing it. Yeah. Into the some hundreds, but, and I deeply believe that in my lifetime, we will be able to push life expectancy that much that people want to die. And I think that talking about libertarian stuff is the ultimate freedom that you live your life to the fullest as long as you wanted to. And by the way, maybe there are people who want to end it at 80. Maybe there are people who want to go until 500. <laughs> yeah. I do think, by the way, psychedelics will play an integral role because if you have a, the one thing is to have a functioning body and mind, but there is a, there is a difference, the mind, but your soul needs to want that novelty. And that's what psychedelics do. They make you really, really uh, passionate for life. And they give you back what children have, I believe, the awe, how amazing that all is, yeah? With all the problems and all the mm-hmm. troubles, yeah? So, and I want to see where this is all going. I like, I really, but but maybe there's a point when I'm 500 and I'm like, okay, now I had it. Now I, I don't know, like, look, read all the vampire um, uh, novels and Rice. Like she was writing 12 books, yeah, about, which I love, yeah about that whole idea. Like right. when is immortality enough? And it's going to be enough somewhat. And then we're going to see what's coming after. Yeah. But why have I, what I don't like is that there is a limited 80 or 85 or maybe 90 at the moment. Yeah. And I'm very sure that when I'm 80 or 90, let's see that. Okay. I'm very sure at the moment that I'm still going to go on. If I don't, great. Let's end that. We should yeah. be have, have a way more liberal, yeah, way more libertarian view on life and death. I would let anybody, there is all, all the complexity and then like if people do it too quickly and hastily because they're heartbroken and say, oh, I want to end it now. So we need a little bit of a, a buffer, a buffer between emotions. Yeah. Uh, but like in generally, we should be the master yeah, no permanent, of our- Permanent solutions to temporary problems yes. are a bad so idea. Again, so again, but in the big picture, I believe we hopefully- What could, if there was like a psychedelic protocol to get to- to get the right for euthanasia at that point, right? Like if you wanted to end it, it was like, no problem. But part of your process is to do 200 milligrams of MDMA and make sure- It's make interesting sure you that you really, say, by the way, sure that you, you really say MDMA because MDMA makes you love yourself more if you do it right. Right. Because interestingly, we saw in some studies 
with a cancer patient at, at, at the very end, like I was yeah. saying, from terminal, uh, they then accepted it and they- They actually they, wanted to die more. Yeah, because in a good way, because they accepted their fate and didn't have the panic of, right. or the last resistance when it, there was resistance was not uh, an option. Yeah. So, so, but I, I mean, that's then, we are a little bit away from that, but I think we will have, maybe already in 10, 20 years, we will have to, as society, debate that. Like, how do we view life and death in a completely new framework? And part will be like, what is the protocol that people, someone who getting old and older want to die, not mm. because they, they're miserable, but they want to die because they just want to see what's coming. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, uh, all of these questions to be able to talk about them freely and to be able to talk about them with nuance. I think that's one of the also meta meta challenges that we're facing across the board is, and I think we've really kind of illuminated this is the willingness to discuss nuance, the willingness to talk about things that are unpopular and talk about things that are taboo, you know, and not have the default, the default reaction, you know, and everybody has all of these default reactions about like, what and they'll take the side of something like one one area that people take the side of is like you shouldn't be using you know indigenous medicines you need to reserve these for the indigenous people and then i ask my teacher maestro orlando chuandama who lives in a small village in terrapoto and dedicates his life to his six children and and all of that and i help support his village and he's what does he say actually not not like exactly. not the people on Instagram who are saying what they think the putting words in his mouth. He's saying no, we all live on a shared earth, and ayahuasca needs to be shared to as many people as possible, especially the people who are threatening Earth. And that's what Mother Gaia wants, and that's what Mother Ayahuasca wants. And so there's this weird world in which, like, there's this this kind of cultural woke cultural idea about 100%. what the right thing to do is, but. We have to but actually be able who, to talk about. Talking about is not even like, yeah, like, like, like whoa. Why didn't draw me into that? Yeah, I mean Sebastian Junger's book Tribe, you know, was very interesting. I'm just I'm reading that actually. I've known about his theory for a long time, but just just speak a very simple aspect of this. He spent time speaking with a Navajo elder, and he was he was calling his people Native American, and he's like, you don't call us Native American. Because anybody born in America is actually a Native American. Like, even though Indian was the wrong name because he thought we were in India, at least it identifies us as a as a as a tribe, as a race of people, you know. And so he actually encouraged him to say that. But then, so Junger explains that in his book, and he uses the word Indians, and people get all riled up, right? But actually, in this case, it's there's just nuance, and people need to unwrap all of this kind of rage and offense and, and sensitivity and say like, all right, let's talk about everything. Assume generally good intentions. Assume that, yes, it's not cool to wear a fucking headdress, but like a, like a war bonnet, like a Native American war bonnet. And again, I still, I didn't talk to the elders, so I still don't want to say I don't Indian, know, right? By the way, if they had, I don't know, but like I met a lot of, not not Native Americans, but I met a lot of other cultures who like this whole idea of what is it called uh, here in America, which we don't have in Europe, thanks God, but like uh, stealing somebody's uh, um, appropriation. Uh, appropriation is, they're like, it's celebrating our culture. Like, it's like, again, people right. are- There's no, there's no nuance. The assumption exactly. is that this is an act of blatant racism. Racism or mocking them. And, while and it's really, like, and yeah. generally, it's like somebody who appreciates or, and, and I'm not saying that it's, I'm not saying that it should be done. Like, 
the, particularly with the with the Native American headdress thing, that's a war bonnet. Every feather was a was a measure of a, an individual's bravery. So the more acts of bravery in serving or helping one of their tribe members, they got a feather. And so it's, that would be like somebody going out and decorating in a in a U.S. Marine's vest with a bunch of fucking medals on it. It's called stolen valor. Like there's things that are not cool to do, but let's just assume that they're not trying to be fucking assholes. They're, they may be, they just may not be aware of what they're doing and like give a little bit of space, like a little bit of breathing room for conversations and actions, correct them, but correct them lovingly and say like, Hey, like, I know you probably didn't know this, but you know, check it out. Here's, here's some of this stuff, but that just seems like the way. And unfortunately we're in such a inflammatory time that those nuanced discussions are not happening. And instead it's just projection and canceling and anger and, it's like we all need to. I think the just whole relax. Twitter mob needs MDMA. Then you really <laughs> understand the others. No, it's like I. By the way, I just uh, tried that uh, in uh, in a relationship, and which which was already which was used. Um, yeah, uh, that's where it origi- originally where it came originated. from. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Like, in it a changes the fucking game. Yes. Um, so I always tell everybody who's watching, like, before you get a divorce, before you can't repair your relationship. Yeah. Go for it. Doesn't cost you anything. It's very safe. Rick Doblin, and, big and shout look, out. And look, and it does, it's not always going to bring you guys back together. I, I actually was in the room for an MDMA ceremony with a couple that I knew. And they, they wanted to do an MDMA ceremony to see if they should stay together. And they finished the ceremony. They said, you know, look, I really you. loved you. Uh, but this isn't right. You know, this isn't for me. And both of them said that. And that's, they separated in the, in the most beautiful way. So it's not like it's going to force you one way or another. It's going to open your heart to the truth of what you really believe and feel. And so, yes, of course, like that and this, and then having that tool available, it's going to change the fucking world. I'm going to save a lot of money for a lot of divorces. <laughs> <laughs> Divorce attorneys are not going to be happy. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, this is a, this has been a, a really beautiful conversation. I, I really deeply appreciate, um, you know, everything that we've discussed. And I think people probably learned a lot of things about myself and the nuance of which I understand the world, which, you know, shares a lot of the nuance. And we may differ on certain, certain ideas about where we draw the line, but the things that we agree on are, it's a very complicated nuanced situation. And that in also the idea that, you know, let's not be too hasty to project these nefarious organizations and and groups and things like we can't it's so difficult to coordinate something like even even getting like when i was in college like even getting my fraternity to get together for a fucking meeting was like really hard and now you know and it's it's like it's just kind of softening a lot of these different thoughts and just opening the field for nuance and a deeper understanding of things rather than the initial blush first reaction and i would say maybe even take away like if the world is a very complex and chaotic place at the end, and it's not ruled by 20, 30, 50 people, it puts way more emphasis on every individual to do the right thing in his own small community, in a bigger context. But like, sort of, I think people secretly with these whole conspiracy stuff, what I said before, they they wish to simplify the world and they wish to give responsibility away because, oh, there are people who are running that they're bad, at least they're running it. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And the truth is you are responsible. Yeah, we're running it. We're running it all together. Like, and everybody of us is a small piece of it and you're responsible for yourself, for your soul, for your close friends. Like, I think 
that is what really should be the, the takeaway. Yeah. Well, I p- deeply appreciate uh, you coming on the show. And, and also, you know, I, I also just want to say, like, as much as we've talked about the science of psychedelics and as much as we've talked in the traditional, I wouldn't be here without both, you know, really, truly. Like, I wouldn't be here without the, the great traditions and the teachers from those traditions who have taught me. And I also have benefited immensely from the medical side of psychedelics, which include MDMA, which include especially ketamine, the ketamine and cannabis journeys that I've been doing have been some of the most profound in my life. And in most places, those that's legal to do that right now. And I've been talking about those and that's changed my life. And that's not in the traditional lineage. It's in a, it's in a different side and prescribed to me for medical reasons, at least the ketamine, originally the cannabis, although that was a bit of a, <laughs> a bit of a hoax about, you know, how you get prescribed cannabis. But, but nonetheless, like, there's a there's a deep appreciation that I have for all the all the lineage roots and a, and just the deepest bow to that and then there's also a deep bow to science for what science is kind of pushing forward and uh, and it's it gives me a lot of hope for how we can ease a lot of the suffering that we see in the world and a lot of the discord. Agree. Yeah, I guess if there's going to be one final thing, is there any? crazy new psychedelic that psychonauts need to look out for coming down the pipeline anything any any spoiler alert about some kind of new thing that you guys have you guys have found in the lab somewhere that you're like this fucking thing is crazy no, no this is a short version we, we look we know we're looking at new psychedelics i'm a very big believer in sort of the first generation ones um yeah. because we know so much about them Again, and now speaking as sort of a, a biotech guy, yes, there are, but I mean, it's maybe a little about duration and stuff like that, or MDMA is a little bit neurotoxic, so you try to get that away, but it's not really the yeah. other world. But like, so you try to make them better, either in, in pharmacological terms or in duration, whatever, but, uh, but then they're new substances and you want to test them. And we know already so much about the, the first generation ones. So yeah. I'm, for example, I'm not a believer in which we're also trying because like we have to as a company to try that hypothesis is like is the trip essential which my answer is yes yeah. yeah but like there are some people who believe no it's just a neuroplasticity or whatever so so there are some psychedelics in development including within a tie which are non-trippy like i don't believe mm-hmm. in them but like we still should have explore a look that. So explore that yeah so but like i think um the sort of core whatever, big five, how you want to call it, psychedelics, yeah, like suicide, DMT, ibogaine, whatever, they are pretty perfect. And they seem to be pretty <laughs> matching yeah. what we need in life yeah. in such an all-encompassing way that it's hard. Again, and we should be thrill seekers. Like if you have something perfect, it's a little bit maybe like in a relationship. If you have something perfect, yeah. Amen. what it ruins it is if you think there is something better out Amen. there and someone in life, you should say, no, I think we, I love, I love we this, have it. I love this answer. That's the best answer you possibly could have given because through the infinite divine perfection that somehow manifests through the love, intelligence, beauty of all that is, we already have these medicines and there's ways in which you can, like I mentioned, ketamine and cannabis, and there's ways in which you can combine things in the right way that can create really potent experiences and we already we already we're already in the paradise and now it's about just you know 
democratizing that paradise, giving as many people access to these medicines and access to these experiences and, uh, and shaping the world with the, with the shift in consciousness and the shift in heart intelligence that these medicines can provide. So I'm here for it. I know that. Thank you very much. Any, any other final words you want to give to anybody listening? No, I enjoyed it very much. We can always, if there are questions or people want to us discuss stuff, we can always do a second second yeah, part of it. Yeah, after your, you know, sometime exactly, later like, this year and you can talk it, about your journey. It's going to be end of January, so we can do it pretty soon. It's going to be very <laughs> interesting. I'm very much... I'm, uh, very, I'm very excited. I'm to very much looking forward to that. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you, Derek. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We're out. Much love. Thanks for tuning into this podcast with Christian Angermeyer. I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation and it expanded your mind a little bit as it expanded mine. We love you guys and we'll see you next week.